This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we have Christian LaFer. He's the founder and CEO of InstantNonprofit.com. Christian, welcome to the episode. Howdy, Bob. Good to see you again. Yeah, we get to do this again. Yeah. Yeah, so Christian's been a previous guest, and we're going to talk about InstantNonprofit.com. Christian, tell us about your business and who you serve. Well, before I tell you about the business, I just want to share how I came into this and what the problem is. And I had volunteered to start a nonprofit with some friends back in around 2008, 2009, completed the application, which figured how hard can this be? Sent it in a few weeks already. I received a letter from with an agent's name on it and a phone number. I couldn't seem to get a hold of that person. But when I did get a hold of somebody at the front desk, they told me it was going to be probably about 12 months and I could probably just sit back and cool my heels a little bit because that's how long they take to approve an op, a 501c3. And I just thought, how ridiculous. You know, I grew up with my, my little sister's developmentally disabled, and so I had experience with her running in Special Olympics. You come to count, people don't even realize how much they count on nonprofits as part of our fabric of society, whether it's PTA or a local little league or whatever. And so I was pissed. I was morally outraged. And so I decided to call about 20 extensions north and south of that agent's phone number. And whoever I could get a hold of, I would beg, plead, and cajole them to give me the information about why this was such a nightmare, what separated a good file, what really gave them a good day at their desk versus a bad day. Because the IRS has made this process very Byzantine, very confusing. There's no real source of information that says, oh, this is exactly what you need to do. And they've only layered more and more anti-fraud band-aids on top of their process over the years. So it's only become more more complex. And so I put together what I called a love letter to a bureaucrat based on grilling all of those agents. And I edited the application. I got an approval in about 45 days. And I tried this again with my little formula with a couple of other people in town heard that I could do this. And I had a school with a billionaire donor, and the school needed to get their approval in time to admit kids into the school, and the billionaire donor would match all of the donations. And I said, well, I think I can get this done, and I really had no idea. <laughs> but I got it done, and I went from blogger to businessman at that point. I think about the story, you, know, you hear many stories where people get motivated for one reason or another, and typically it's a, a significant frustration. Mm -hmm. that's your significant frustration. So what does your ideal client look like? So there are probably three different types of, of ideal client. One is a successful entrepreneur or successful person who, or even corporate, right? Something where there's already success, there's already somewhat of a framework in things like generating revenue and, and building teams and those kinds of things. And they'll come to us and say, we've got this idea, we know we want to do this but we just don't want to wait forever for this paperwork or slog through a bunch of delays and, and back and forth. The other would be sort of what I would call hyper-local organizations that have a single founder, and it's somebody, it's a woman in the inner city who used to be a retired teacher, and she just got these kids on her back porch, not getting shot up out, out in the neighborhood, running around with the wrong people, and she's needing to feed them and provide games and activities. And the third, I would say, is like a civic group type of thing. Like I have some uh, masons who are building a park. These guys have, they're not business owners. They're not the corporate funding source, 
but they know that they've got this network in the community and they've got these projects that they want to do and they've come together as a board or a, a group and, and wanted to do that. So I would say that's kind of the three types of primary types of founders that we, we run into. For those various groups prior to instant nonprofit, what's the typical road or path that those groups had to travel down to try to form their nonprofit and typical time frame for them to try to get that done? What did that look like? I mean, traditionally, there would be probably two paths, hiring a lawyer or try and do it yourself. Lawyers, I mean, I had a quote of, you know, 3200 on the low end from customer yesterday. I've seen five, I've seen $10,000 to set up a 501c3. There are different levels. There are two different paths for the application process itself. So that does make some difference, but there are about 26 different steps, discrete steps in the process. And any one of those can be a failure. So you have to incorporate get the EIN, you have to provide the correct purpose and dissolution clause in your corporate paperwork, or the state will be fine with it, and then later you'll have to go amend your articles when you get to the IRS and they say, sorry, there are nested problems that can occur inside this process. So I'm the local attorney in Lickskillet, Tennessee, and you show up at my office, and let's say I have either done one or two or never done one, but I'll go, yeah, I'll do it for you. Absolutely. If, if you don't try doing it yourself and, and get sidetracked by some, you know, $50 loss leader for a document on an online search, which doesn't get you there to 501c3, and you do go to an attorney, very few attorneys in the entire country do only nonprofit work. And so you're probably going to get sandwiched in between a divorce and a real estate deal and pay several thousand dollars for someone who is doing not what is not quite legal work. And if you don't know exactly what the IRS is looking for, because you've done thousands of these and you've done them this month when they just decided to change some guideline, it's very likely that the lawyer's just going to bill you for their time, slog through whatever back and forth there is and, and deal with delays or deal with having to resubmit some paperwork, etc. You're going to end up with that result of the typical average IRS time of 12 to 14 months for an approval if you have any kind of substantial budget. So I'm the prototypical want to form a 501c3 person, and I find you guys online, Mm -hmm. and I reach out to you. Walk me through the steps. What does that look like? Absolutely. If you were to become a customer today, Bob, and I think you should sign up right now while we're on the the show. (laughs) Absolutely. But uh, (laughs) you would go through three steps, basically. In step one, you'd get a welcome email with a link. That link would go to a simple form where we've translated all of the sort of IRS government speak into English. And you should be able to get through that form in about 15, 20 minutes. And that's where we get most of the information we need. We'll feed that back to you in a document. That document also gets the proper power of attorney, etc. And once that's signed, we've front-ended 90% of the process. And so we're just going to deliver nothing but good news to your email, and documents to your shared secure folder on the cloud. In step two, once step one also, we do the initial steps of incorporating and getting your EIN. And those things are going to be what allows you to go to the bank and start operating in the community as a nonprofit, a full-fledged nonprofit corporation. 501c3 is a tax status that follows. So as we move into step two, we provide you a corporate governance package. 
we basically iron out all the speed bumps that you're going to run into as a founder that are separate from the 501c3 and incorporation process. For example, I don't know, you know, you've been around the block a little bit, but are you a professional? Do you run board meetings as a regular no, rule? I don't. So it'd probably be helpful if you had a how to run your board meeting in 30 minutes or less video and matching downloadable board agenda. And your board members would appreciate that too. They sure would, because board meetings are one of the primary reasons that people end up losing their passion for nonprofits, whether they're just your friend who are serving on board, or if it's you having to run that meeting and herd the cats. We help you not only with the exact nine-step process to go through that, but we help set up some mindset too, because it's your job to run that board meeting, run it efficiently, and help manage the board members into an efficient process so that you can focus on your mission. Our number one mission as a company is to help you focus on your mission. As we move out of step two and into step three, we've now provided you with all the background things that you need to run the nonprofit and also all of the required documents and package ingredients that you'll need for your 501c3 application, such as your conflict of interest policy, bylaws, compensation policy, etc. So you've got all of that, and we have now populated your 501c3 application, and in step three, we simply submit. Now, most files get proved on what's called a merit close at the IRS. That means just like when you submit a mortgage and everything's absolutely perfect and the money shows up, a merit close is no interaction with that IRS agent. But even if they decide to pull you out of line for the TSA extra inspection at the airport, same thing here. They, they might pull one out of 25 or 30 files to just run the traps and, and ask some additional questions. If they do, that's not something you should have to survive on your own. We're going to help format your answers because it's just like being a witness on the stand. You want to answer the question that was asked and no more. You don't want to open up additional lines of questioning. So we shut them down in one round that way. So I'm back to my prototypical form of 501c3. So I've gone through the process and we got a merit close. And I've got all the things I want to do in the community. I want to do some fundraise before you're in for tax purposes and so on. And I'm going like, well, how should I try to budget my time expectation? How long does it take? So from the time that someone contacts us, well, let me tell you what the, the ranges can be. The IRS is average for what we call an enterprise file, which is above $50,000 in likely receipts per year in the first three years. The IRS's average has wavered over the past few years from 8 to 10 months to 12 to 14 months. They lost a lot of experienced agents during the recent government shutdown, for example, so that, that tends to slow things down. We can really provide some value there because you're looking at probably about three to six months average turnaround for our files. And we like to build a little bit of a buffer in. So I wouldn't want to represent that you'd get this result, but our record is nine days for what we call an express file from call to receiving the letter and six, well, actually yeah, about 45 days for a, a full-blown, what we call an enterprise file, which is a big fat 60-page PDF printed out on dead trees and shipped to the IRS. I think about the experience of doing and. The guy goes, you know, I, I've got my attorney. I mean, I've known good old Bill Smith forever and all pardons to all the Bill Smiths on the planet. <laughs> and why? Bill's taking care of my family a lot. And so I trust him. But Bill says, you know, I don't do this all the time. I'll see what I can do to help. How many of these do you think you guys have done? How many applications for 501c3s? 
Bob, I'd say we're probably darn close to 3,000 at this point. Do you think there's anything you haven't seen? Probably not. I think we have a little bit of a screening process on the front end. There are occasionally people who come to us with an idea that just isn't going to be acceptable for a 501c3 charity. Sometimes maybe, for example, it's a 501c4. They want to go change something and lobby the federal government. We do that as well, but that comprises a very small percentage of nonprofits. Or you might have a chamber of commerce type of nonprofit. That's a 501c6. We can do that, but a lot of times when people come to us, they don't realize that they are falling outside of what is typically that public charity. Maybe they want to start a private foundation, for example. So we're able to qualify them and steer them in the right direction. And I would say there's just a very, very small handful that are really only suited to being a for-profit business. But we're honest and we tell you up front, and that way we can guide you into either the right package that we offer or make a recommendation of how you can get done exactly what you want to get done by some other means. But through that screening process, we've been able to maintain a 100% IRS approval rate. We've never lost one. I think for, for many of the folks out there, you know, what's your time for it? If you're trying to accomplish your mission in nonprofit space, if you really want to get to it quickly, it would be useful to use someone that has a bit of experience behind them. Poor advice or inaccurate advice is quite expensive when the day is all said and done. That's you know, very true. As you look back over this journey, starting back in 08 or 09, and you started this, and where you are today. So you're obviously now a veteran, and back then you were a rookie. Mm-hmm. What advice would you, the veteran, offer to you back then, the rookie, <laughs> that would maybe help the listener understand? All right, so besides eating a ketogenic diet, I would recommend to my 25-year-old self, for gosh sake, keep it simple. I have really managed to complicate things for myself in my life by trying to be, you never try to be too clever, but sometimes you manage it. And keeping, making an idea that you have work on the most simple level now, and then build, putting in the next fence post after this one is fully cemented in, is probably some of the best Brendan Burchard puts it that way. Make sure this fence post is 100% solid before you put up the next one, because otherwise the wind's going to come along and everything you've built is just going to go, you know, go down, go horizontal, as they say. Well, you know, shifting gears a bit, you know, looking over the influences in your life and for the nonprofit space, is there a book that comes to mind that was influential on your thought process? There'd probably be uh, two books. One would be, actually, I'm just going to name two books by the same author. It actually shows an arc of of his as well, his maturing. And that's Tim Ferriss. I read the four-hour work week. And even if one can't, doesn't want to get to a four-hour work week, or it's just not feasible in your life for some reason, the four-hour work week talks about that very simplicity that I referred to. Because what he, the central premise of the book and the idea of the four hour work week is to build something that is, provides value to people at its simplest, most basic level and let that pay your bills. Let that be what he calls your muse. And then you have the free space and the clear mind and the time to think about what that really big thing that you want to do is. And that doesn't need to be a different business or a different life. It could be the same. But if you, as I said, keep it really simple at the beginning, your life will be uncomplicated, at least your work life hopefully will be uncomplicated enough 
to allow you that free space to go, oh, this is where this could really go. Well, case in point, for you guys, I mean, you do the formation paperwork and get it done. But you also have the ability to for the 501c3 to train the board. And you have a number of other modules as well, which I would put in that category that you just mentioned. They're not the primary thing that you do, but right. they're also additional needs within the industry. Absolutely, yeah. The old me, the 25-year-old me, would try to roll out eight products at once and probably not serve as fully as I could on any of them. <laughs> and we've really adjusted our approach here. We've rolled some things out. We were successful and we delivered value to people, but it just wasn't worth running around for the volume. We're driving ourselves crazy trying to manage different things that aren't scaled. So what we've done is we've pulled back to our central core value proposition, which is starting the 501c3, very much hands-off, very much as doing it for the person as much as possible, and then rolling out to things like the board training, and we have an annual maintenance program at this point. So you can truly put your, we call it hands-free 501c3. You can put this thing on autopilot from a compliance and maintenance standpoint. But we thought very hard about when to do that and how to do it versus trying to be all things to all people. And I won't mention any competitors by name, but there are some companies out there that purport to do 501c3 and, and nonprofits, but their main line of business is for profits. And so this is such an afterthought to them. They have terrible reviews, and we focus on getting good reviews by actually giving people what they need. Well, you're serving the niche. And I interrupted you in the middle of two books, and you got one of them. Oh, sorry. Yes. Oh, that's okay. The other book is Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. You have a guy who now has earned the uh, respect of everything from billionaires to the top keto doctors and scientists in the world, for example, and has been able to tap into the minds of the most brilliant people in medicine, science, wealth building, business building, etc. That is the tome for the ages, I think, is, is Tools for the Titans. And I mean, he talks about everything in there from psychedelics being used among Silicon Valley and others for a sort of exploration of the mind space to business models that are coming, that are starting to take fire across the world that are very different than what used to be here. And I think we have so many things that are going to change radically in the next 10 years that it would be a great read for anyone to take a look into the future and also into the past into things like stoicism. Oddly enough, I've read both of those as well. Have them on my desk. Yeah. So if you could take for your company and put an ad on page one of the local business paper sharing the message of instantnonprofit.com, what advice or what would it say and why? It would probably say whether you've already made it and you want to give back or you want to make it by giving back. Whichever end of that spectrum you're on, make it easy on yourself for the things that don't serve other people, right? You have a very unique vision for whatever it is you want to do to help the community or people, animals, or the planet. And only you can serve that particular mission. So don't denigrate from that mission by trying to struggle through all this paperwork and everything, which is very specialized. And as far as I'm concerned, you shouldn't have to become an expert in something you're only going to do one time. If you get somebody to help you with that, then you can focus on exactly how you're going to go about that mission and getting the right people and relationships in place. Because there are people out there who will write you a check or will write a check for just about any cause. It's your job to figure out how to connect with them. And that's time much better spent than slogging through a 
hundred pages of paperwork. You know, I think about that potential donor or board member, and if you're set up professionally to start with, you know, they may be motivated. Say, I'm setting it up, and three months later, you go, I'm still setting it up, and three more months later, you go, you're still setting it up, and pretty soon they're going to move on. Absolutely. So I think that professional approach to getting it done, you know, makes sense. One thing I didn't ask earlier on is what's the range of expense to get that put in place? Uh, with us? Mm-hmm. The express package, which is for smaller, you know, more local oriented organizations is about a thousand dollars all told. And then it's about twice that for the organizations that have either substantial amount of assets to start with or a substantial budget, meaning pretty likely receipts of $50,000 in their projections per year in the first three tax years. Makes sense. IRS and the states are always changing their guidelines, so some of these things may move around. It used to be 10000 and not $50,000, but whether those things change or not, that's about, right now, the range. The longest I ever saw this take was 35 months, and that was done by a law firm who was very well-meaning. But they checked an incorrect box and did not realize the hornet's nest that they stepped on. And they went back and forth with the IRS for about 35 months. And it was kind of like the mortgage that never closes. The seller is going to go away. The house is going to need some maintenance at that point. And in this case, donors and board members uh, just found something else to do. And this organization was, there was not much left to it by the time they got their approval. Which is really quite the shame, actually. You because know, everybody meant to do well. It just didn't work out that way. Yeah, these are we, we take this as a sacred charge because these dreams are near and dear to people's hearts, and they're actually giving us something that's very sacred that they're trusting with us. When, when somebody signs up, this isn't like we're just uh, hawking a product that can be found elsewhere. This is something where that's a serious trust. That's it changes lives and communities. It does. Absolutely. For you guys, you know, looking at what you're doing in the company now, and as you look at how you allocate your time now in the focus space that you're working, what's the best allocation of time for you now in, in this organization? For me personally, it's uh, making connections with aligned causes and, and the other people who run organizations and platforms that we can reach people with. We went a little crazy with Google AdWords and, and pay-per-click. And uh, that stuff works great to get a business up and running, but it can become like an opiate addiction. If you quit cold turkey, you could die. <laughs> but if you don't wean yourself off at some point, you're going to die a much slower, more painful death. So you better quit now. And so our, my job is to go out and get on the stages and platforms of people uh, like yours who have a caring audience, who are harboring a secret dream <laughs> inside mm-hmm. themselves to go do some good in the world and just think the nonprofit is too high a hurdle. And when they see how we lower that bar for them so that they can do execute on dream, it's a no brainer. It makes it possible. And I think for many, it says, I'd love to do something that way. And, you know, you go, well, there's the community foundation, there's, you know, various other nonprofits in town, but the ability for really what I would consider a nominal amount of money, it's kind of nice to be able to take and set that up and pursue that mission statement that you get, you know, that, that you want to pursue for looking at instant nonprofit. You're looking at all your experiences in this space. Is there a piece of advice that you could share with the listener that you think's most contributed to your recent success? An attribute or an approach that you use currently that's really contributed to your recent success? I don't think, if I was to answer that myself, 
I wouldn't see you stopping for any reason. You are determined and have one foot in front of the, the other all the time. We're definitely determined to grow this and, and continue to serve people in this way. I'd say the number one attribute, about three years ago, I had a, a major transformation as a person and uh, kind of went from striving to just to being. And along with that, I think came a reckoning of how to just be in a more authentic way. And I think that's kind of percolated through the company where being very real with people, not not that you want to put on a front, but not trying to make everything real slick. If you look at the other people in this space, lawyers, accountants, it's very stiff. There's a focus on a lot of other websites about how hard this is and how difficult this is. And, and it's in very, everybody's in a suit in a stock stock photograph. And we want to share that this is about really what it's like to be in this and that we're really in this together. We're not some sage on the stage. We're more of a guide on the side. We are here to get in there and help you with the real problems that you have because we can't look at everything from the standpoint of lawyers and accountants where we're here to find everything that could possibly be wrong with your application. We're here to get you a result. You know, I, I think about that as this, you know, do you want to get to market? Yes, no. How fast? We can get you there, and we've done it for thousands of others. Straight up, you know, it's not like we're trying to figure this out as we go. And I think there's enormous value to that. And you know, in, in looking as you go through, if you were going to get advice to another entrepreneur that's trying to start an enterprise of some description, you know, what advice would you offer to that that CEO or founder that's trying to go down the same path that you're going for the first time? I'd say get out there and sell it, take the credit card, make the sale. And then make sure you deliver, even if there's a little bit of gap that you have to fill in and figure out, listen, if you just take the person's money for something that you, you have to know that you can do it, but then have conversations with those people. It's basically the lean methodology. Get out into the street, rub shoulders and, and make some things happen. And the rough edges will get knocked off of you for sure. You'll have to listen to people about what worked, what was great, what wasn't. But there's nothing, you can't sit here and create something like this in, in theory and be too afraid to get it out there. And I think that's what a lot of people suffer from is just making things a little bit more perfect before selling it. I think about all the calls that you guys have gotten through the years oh, from thousands from the people wanting to form. If you were to take in, say, the top one, two, or three problems that are faced by the folks that end up being your clients, what are those problems that they face? before they become your client? I think one of the biggest problems is it seems so overwhelming and people are so busy in their lives today in modern life. By the time they, they have a job or they have their mainstay and then they get home and they're either dealing with their own personal to-dos or kids or whatever, they're searching around on the internet at night for information on how to start a nonprofit. And like I said, so much of the information out there is just straight up wrong because it's based on outdated information that doesn't apply anymore, or it's written by someone who wanted to write an article but has not filed thousands of 501s. <laughs> and so it's permission almost for that person to go ahead and trust that they can get this done. And it's keeping it simple. They get overwhelmed. And our job as a company is not only to deliver this 501c3 package, do this for them, 
but to let them know the next one or two or three things maybe that they need to do and to tell them not to worry about the rest. I just hear a sigh of relief when I tell someone, here's all you need to do next. Don't worry about the other stuff because they want to talk about, I mean, they just want to line up all 50 things, which is just going to shut them right down. And so uh, it's really fun when I say you're going to get an email with the very next steps, not 10 steps out, but the next two. And they say, well, I can handle that. So I look forward to that. My sense of that is for many that say, you know, I'm inclined. I don't even know where to start. And of course, getting on the first course is I'll just Google it. And you kind of go, well, there's an inventory of something. 5,725,000 search results at the yeah. top of that page. Yeah. And you kind of go, and that one starred. That must be good. Why is that? You know, and it may or may not be the solution for these folks. I think about not knowing where to start. And I've been talking about the folks that are looking to start. I thought maybe it'd be interesting. There are a number of folks that started their 501c3. Do you have a favorite one or two that you want to give a shout out to that have used you guys and are now out making a ding in the universe, as Jobs might say? Put me on the spot here. I'd have to take a couple minutes for that one, but I could probably come up with it. Well, we'll circle back to that Sounds one. Good. We'll Sounds circle good. back. As you tell folks what you do, typically there's misconceptions about your role as the founder and CEO of this company. What are the typical misconceptions that you run across? On regarding what? Being the CEO and founder of Instant Nonprofits. It's sort of two ends of the spectrum. One is that I'm removed from the process of what's going on. And that's why I, re- I do sales calls every week. I didn't start this company to sit in meetings all the time. I really love to talk to the people that are thinking about using our service and wanting to start a nonprofit. So I make sure that I do some of those every day, partly to break that myth that I'm sitting in some corner office. People stop caring because they experience a little bit of success or something. On the other end of the spectrum, I had someone call just today. And I mistook the number based on the area code and I didn't screen it. And so I, and I just had a few minutes. I was like, well, I'm not going to go research. I'm just going to call this person back who called me twice and didn't leave a message. I pick up the phone and it's a prospect, not even a customer at the bank having a problem with the bank manager because the banks don't know what paperwork they even need to start a nonprofit. They go ask for everything, even for things that don't matter or they don't have, have a right to. And so. The guy immediately puts me on the phone as soon as I call with a bank manager <laughs> yeah. and I'm on speaker and he's got his entire board at the bank. So I'm on the spot and I've just got a few minutes before I have to get in an elevator. So I had to be a little stern and tell that bank manager what documents they did and did not need. And if they didn't like it, that I was going to recommend to this board to take their business elsewhere. I got a call 20 minutes later. They did take their business elsewhere to Wells Fargo and got their result that they wanted. And it was because I just had no time for any BS and to be real nice. And I said, look, if you can't accept these three documents, which these gentlemen are prepared to uh, provide, I'm going to recommend they go elsewhere. And I, they didn't ask or anything. They just said, thank you very much. And 20 minutes later, I got a call. I think they're going to become a customer for sure. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think about the value of been there, done that. Think about for you guys, all of the circumstances and you go, this may be atypical for that person in that board, but it's absolutely not atypical after so many times of having yeah. done this. Yeah. Yeah. Even if something happens in 5% of cases, well, you've dealt with a hundred of them now. And that's where it's the other end of the spectrum is people calling my desk because 
they got a bank manager on the phone. I'm like, that's what we have a staff for. Although I love to get up in somebody's, you know, business a little bit and, and ex- tell them how it is. That, that was a little fun. Looking over the past few years, you've been doing this and building the company. I'm always interested in the motivation. What keeps you motivated? What keeps you going? I think it's those exact situations where I get on the phone with someone and, they're go- and they say, thank God I found you. I was about to give up on this dream. My mom died of Alzheimer's. And I want to help people in my community here in Sarasota, Florida, or or their child was you know killed in an accident. We had somebody that happened to, and they want to start a memorial fund at the school. Well, they're not rich, right? They just want to put a few grand and then raise some money from some corporate and, and maybe uh, local businesses and community folks. And they call and say, I, I'm just about done. I just can't do this anymore because it's just so defeating. And I, they're busy. They've got a life. They've got other children or whatever. So that's what keeps me going is like I levitate out of bed every morning at five o'clock if I can and the 530 if not. And what gets me to work is the excitement about smoothing out some more of those speed bumps for people to actualize their, their lives and their dreams and really leave a legacy because that nonprofit, if they do anything with it, it's probably going to be around longer than they will and their kids can have something to do with it, or they can pass it along to other people in the community. And that's something that they can be really proud of when they're facing the next stage of this uh, journey that we're all on. Think about the pebble in the pond, right? And you just never know where the ripple effect goes. And so you're enabling folks to jump through some of the regulatory hurdles to form their nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And then you never know how many people that that nonprofit may benefit that may actually take in change lives that you'll never know. And there's a personal, there are several levels. There's a personal result besides what the nonprofit does. And I'll give you a great example. I went to a recommitment of vows for a friend of mine. He was just a kid when I worked for a nonprofit that he ended up working for at the same time. It was really his first job ever. And I went to his recommitment and all of his friends that showed up there, our primary connection was having all worked for the same cause. And there was just that little smirk on their faces. You know, the person I brought to this event noticed that we had the same trademark smirk because we had all fought in the trenches for the same thing that we believed in. And so those relationships will endure and really give my life meaning and all of their lives meaning totally outside of whatever it is that nonprofit was doing. So you just don't know how, you don't know what's going to come of this, but you just got to jump in and start doing it. and Those answers will come to you. Well, you know, the, the thing that I would say, you know, as to the folks that are listening, I said, you know, the biggest challenge, I think, in the space is folks don't know you're here. And so for the listeners out there to keep in mind is if there's somebody that you know or you're talking with that wants to start a nonprofit and, for, you know, do all the documents and so on, I mean, you guys are here mm-hmm. and you're available and you're experts at what you do. And now we're going to go to the part is, how do they find you so you're not anonymous? Where do they find you on social media? Well, they can go to Facebook and punch in Instant Nonprofit. They can go to any of the social media platforms. Not quite there on Instagram yet, but probably soon that's taken over the world. But the easiest thing to do is go to instantnonprofit.com slash Bob Rourke. You'll see that we have a great download at instantnonprofit.com slash Bob Rourke. And... It goes through everything one would need to know. It's completely free. Everything one would need to know on how to start a nonprofit. And if they 
do, if they do sign up there, we will make a little donation to a nonprofit of Bob's choice. So uh, I think that would be a, a neat way to. Well, that's awesome. Give that's, back. I'd rather do that than give Google some more money. I appreciate the generosity, <laughs> and you know, and for us here, we try to make sure the word gets out. And of course, we talk to business owners all over the place. So. In closing, we wanted to take in and wind this episode up with a closing story from you. Yeah. We think about the folks that have called in, and they'll talk to you and say, you know, I've been on this journey. I've tried to get it started. I spent all this money. I'm still no further along than the thought process, except my checking account is smaller, and so on. And there's a fundamental challenge when... You either find somebody that's not qualified or you find somebody that's done it one time before. And you've had clients like that call. And then what I see with the challenge of that is if you don't know that there's a better way to do it, you're basically trying to do it by yourself. And I don't know about most of folks, but I've done home projects where I look at it. My wife looks at it after I'm done and she goes, well, don't you think you could have called in a carpenter to do that and might have saved some time, effort, maybe a finger? And you go, right. And I think about for the folks that are trying to go through and says, you know, trying to form my nonprofit by myself. And there's an enormous hurdle to overcome when you're trying to do it by yourself. You know, you talk about you could put check the wrong box, you could put the wrong language, and you could be stuck in limbo for a very long time where truly your mission statement is, I want to go out, I want to make a difference, and here's the cause that I believe in. And so I'll do the closing. For you folks that are out there that are trying to make the decision to do this by yourself, all right, we've all seen where we've taken on a task. I don't care whether it's preparing sheetrock in your house, doing plumbing under the kitchen sink. At some point in time, you recognize that you've reached your level of competence and you need to bring in the experts and Christian and his group have done thousands of nonprofit formations and filings successfully. And I would urge you, if that's on your mind, to form a nonprofit that you reach out to Christian and his company. And I think you'd be very well served if you do so. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And I probably couldn't have done that better myself. But it's always a pleasure to work with you, Bob. And uh, thanks for having us on the show. You bet. It makes well, a big I'm, difference to us. I'm a fan. And so that's why we're here. So appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time.